Well, friends, my name is Brian, and I'm one of the lead pastors here. Just wanted to greet every one of you, those of you who are online with us today, also in our campuses in Waterbury, New Milford, and in Derby, for those of you here at our Bethel campus. If you're brand new today, a special welcome to you. We believe the Lord has led you here, and we do hope that you feel a part of the family. And um, we've been going through a series talking about the Holy Spirit, and so we continue on in that today. I want to talk to you today about trusting the Holy Spirit. Trusting the Holy Spirit. Let me start with a story, a fantastic story. This comes from one of our Church in Action partners. This Church in Action partner serves in a part of the uh, world where sharing your faith in Jesus would get you imprisoned. Well, one of our partners was out and about and just felt the Lord lead him to go and share the gospel message, the message about Jesus, with a police officer. Now, this was a (laughs) no-no, because the police officer would most likely arrest this person and bring them to prison. But the Lord was so strongly prompting this man to go and share his faith that he couldn't resist, and so he decided that he was going to trust the Lord. He went up to the police officer and said, hey, listen, you know, I felt the Lord leading me to you, and I wanted to share Jesus Christ with you. And he shared about his faith and how Jesus had transformed his life. And he offered, hey, would you like to know this Jesus? You can know him right now. The police officer looked back at him. Imagine the the nervousness. What's about to happen? Well, the police officer said, you know what? Thank you for sharing your message, but I actually, I think this message is for my son. You know, my son and I had a falling out several years ago. My son lives on the streets now, and I think he needs this message of hope. Would you go and share it with him? So the man's like, sure, I'll go share it with him. And some of us would have been disappointed, right? No, I came to share it with you, man. You're the one that needs to give your life to Jesus. I heard this. Oh, no, he said, okay, I'm going to shift here because the Lord is doing something. And so I love this. One of the partner that we, we support, he goes, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to find your son. And so he went and he found the son. And he went up to the son and said, hey, listen, I come here and I want to share Jesus with you. And he shared his faith and all the excitement of what Jesus had done in his life. And the son gave his life to Jesus, totally transformed him, changed his whole life. Amazing story. So what happens was, because you don't just give your life to Jesus and stay the same, it's not what happens. No, he changes your life. And so now this son thought to himself, wow, I'm feeling convicted to go back to my father and reconcile. I'm feeling convicted to go and, and ask for forgiveness because I've taken advantage of my father. I've put him through a lot of hardship because of my addictions and because of my life. And so he goes back to his father and he shares what, what Jesus has done. Now his, his father is really intrigued because he's looking at his son whose life has been changed. Now, we could be praying because the father has not yet given his life to Jesus, but he's certainly on a journey. All because this one man trusted God and stepped out on a limb. Here's another part of the story that's, that's amazing. The son goes on and, and he's being discipled by one of our church in action partners. And he's asking for a Bible. He's like, man, I'd love to have a Bible so I can read all about this Jesus and get to know him better. Well, if you uh, go around carrying a a Bible in the open in this country, you'll also be imprisoned. 
And so what our partners do is they take Bibles, they smuggle them in, and they put them in locations, and then they tell the individuals that want the Bibles where they were left. And so our partners put the Bible at this location that they just chose at random and then told this man, the son, to go and retrieve the Bible. He goes and retrieves the Bible. He texts back. He says, why did you choose this location? I said, I don't, we don't know. We just chose this location. No, no, no. Come on. You're pulling my chain. Why did you choose this specific location? I don't know. We just thought that this would be a good location for you to pick up the Bible. He says, well, it's really curious because... You put it under the bench that I've been sleeping on for the last three years. Look what can happen when you trust the Lord. You know what I love about this story is that God meets our trust in him with his faithfulness all the time. You know the other thing I love about this story? I love that what God was doing by putting the Bible under the bench was he was saying to this young man, I saw you on the bench. I saw you in your darkest moments. I saw you in your confusion. I saw you in your hurt. I saw you when you felt you were so far from me. I was right next to you. And isn't this the God that we serve? That he's with us. He sees your bench. He knows your bench. And he comes alongside of you in it. What a great story of trusting God. What a great story of who our God is. I want to talk to you today about trusting the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you coming out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It was read already so well, but I want to read it again so it can sink in with you. This is what it says. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the church in Corinth. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid, and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Today I want to teach you about this passage and from this passage. And we're going to get to this moment where I want to talk to you about what it means to trust the Holy Spirit. But let's start with some context. You know, Paul starts this, this passage by saying, when I, when I first came to you, you know, Paul had visited this church in Corinth and started the church there, and now he's writing to them. But Paul came to them initially to start this church. Now we have to remember a few things about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a Jewish man, and he was a very strict Jew at that. You will read in, in Philippians, his letter there, that as far as following the Jewish law goes, he says that he was faultless at this. Imagine that. He's faultless. He was trained by one of the most famous rabbis, this man named Gamaliel. And he was trained to keep the law, but not only that, he was trained to help, persuade, <laughs> persecute you so that you will follow the law as well. In fact, 
What made the Jewish people Jewish was that they were separated by the Gentile people because they were people who kept the law. They were the chosen people. And one of the ways that they were distinct, what had become a part of their identity, was that they were people who followed the law. And so Paul made it his business to make sure that they remained distinct. Separate was right. Now this Paul is on the road to Damascus. He's going to persecute some Christians, some followers of the way. Why? Because they were threatening the law. They were doing things differently. And so Paul wanted to get this in order. And so he's on his way to Damascus and Jesus speaks to him. He's captivated. He's stopped in his tracks. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? I'm not persecuting you. Yes, whenever you persecute a child of God, you're persecuting Jesus himself. Why are you persecuting me? Jesus grabs Paul's heart in this moment. And and Paul has this dramatic conversion where he gives his life to Jesus. No longer did he live from that moment on trying to strengthen division. But instead he lived to heal division. It's important to remember the person who's writing this letter before we get into our passage. It's also important to remember who he's writing it to. He says, when I first came to you, this is the church in Corinth. This is a church that had many problems at this point. Paul was probably very proud of starting this church and now he's hearing things about them and he's upset. This letter, he's, he's upset by how they're conducting themselves. It was a church that had many problems. Non-believers did not look favorably upon this church. The church was losing its witness. Oh God, let that not be true of us. Oh Lord, we want to be your witness. Don't let us get hung up on the things that this church got hung up on, sacrificing our witness of Jesus Christ. But that's what was happening in Corinth. They were losing their witness. As you read through the letter to 1 Corinthians, you quickly discover that this church had a long list of problems. And this long list of problems was undermining their witness of Jesus Christ. Some were grumbling grumbling against the leadership. That never happens here, so that's fantastic. (laughs) Some were grumbling against Paul and his approach to ministry. Some were living in sexual sin. Some were suing each other. Some were questioning how women should dress during worship. Some of the rich were insulting the less affluent at the Lord's Supper. Some were prideful about the spiritual gifts that they had been given. Some were skeptical about the resurrection of the dead. Dead. There's so many problems in places where they had divided themselves. And so the Apostle Paul, he's so concerned about this this people in, in Corinth and this church that he wrote to them, employing them to apply spiritual wisdom to the worldly problems. If I could sum up the letter to the church in Corinth here, it would sound like this. God's wisdom applied to worldly problems produces supernatural results. 
God's wisdom applied to worldly problems produces supernatural results. The opening chapters of this letter become Paul's clear call back to what is most important, the building blocks of the Christian faith. You know, as we read about these building blocks of the Christian faith, you know, absent of these things, we're really not the church at all. We're really not the followers of Jesus at all. We need these these building blocks. And so Paul is calling this church back to these foundational elements of what it means to be a Christ follower. And I love how he comes and he says, listen, I, I didn't do this. I didn't come with lofty words and impressive wisdom. I didn't come to win an argument. I came to make an introduction. I, I came to bring a message that aimed at the heart, not the brain. Paul wasn't entering a logic war that already existed in the church of Corinth. He wasn't trying to impress the mind. He was trying to change the heart. He didn't use the methods of the culture He came and he used the methods of the kingdom of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. So what what did Paul come to tell them? In our passage today, I want to share two of these building blocks. It's to remember and to rely. Remember and rely. I love in the beginning of this passage, Paul says, when I first came to your dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. One of the building blocks of our faith is to remember God's secret plan. This is part of the reason why Paul came, to reveal God's secret plan. What is God's secret plan? Do you know? What is God's secret plan? What was it that hadn't been revealed before that God wanted to reveal to this church? And I believe wants to reveal to us today. What was it? You know, we might say, well, I think what it was is that God is going to come and he's going to forgive sin. Or, or maybe, maybe that secret plan was that, you know, if you accept Jesus, you're going to go to heaven. Now, these are wonderful pieces of truth, by the way. God does forgive us of our sins. That in Christ Jesus, we do have an eternal home with him. Praise God. Wonderful news. But I don't think it's the secret that Paul was alluding to. I came to you to tell you of God's secret plan. So what was Paul thinking about? As you read the the letters of Paul and you get into Ephesians and, and here in 1 Corinthians, he reveals this great mystery, this wonderful secret that hadn't yet been revealed. And this is what it is. God's great secret was that God wanted to break down walls. God wanted to break down the walls between the Jewish people and the Gentiles. He was about to do something that had not been done before. Remember in this culture that the Jewish people, based on the law and their identity as the chosen people, they were keeping themselves separate. And now Paul's coming and saying, no, listen, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, all people can be redeemed. All people can be reconciled to the Lord and reconciled to one another. After Jesus' actions on the cross, which reconciled all people to God, all people are now reconciled to one another. God's secret plan is this. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, 
for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is a passage here in Galatians 3 that's about adoption. It's about adoption. In Jesus, all are welcomed as the children of God equally. No more division, no more separation, no more rankings, no more hierarchy. What you did in the past isn't what happens anymore. Why? Because of Christ Jesus. All can have his presence. All can walk with him. This was radical. God's secret plan was to make a way for his prodigal children to be his children once again. Do you know the good news is not that Jesus died? You're starting to question me, aren't you? It's actually not good news, is it? Jesus died. It's not good news. The good news is what his death accomplished. That's the good news. What his death and his resurrection accomplished, that's the good news. And so the good news is that we have been reconciled to God as individuals. But the good news is also that we've been reconciled to one another in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul's so upset in this letter, by the way. This is why he's so upset. The people in Corinth found every reason and every way to divide themselves. This was like a slap in the face to the one who paid the greatest price for you. How can you remain divided? Jesus went to the cross that you might be one. How dare you? It's like you're slapping Jesus in the face. No, he went to the cross that you might be one as he and the Father are one. You should be moving in that direction, not in the other direction. And then I love what, what Paul does next. He says, listen, remember God's secret plan that he's, he's creating one humanity under Christ Jesus. Praise God that the doors have been flung wide open for, for all who claim Jesus as the son of God. All are now welcomed into the family of God. But then he goes on and he says, listen, this is, this is how I, I chose to do that when I came to you. I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except for Jesus. This is how I was going to show you. This was, this was the way that you were going to grab a hold of this and, and understand it. Is that I would forget everything except for Jesus. Paul decided to focus on the one who could bring everything back together. The only one who could bring this kind of unity. See, Paul's message throughout his letters was about receiving a new life. And this is a life only found in Jesus Christ. It's not found in lofty ideas or thoughts. It's not found in having power over other people. It's not found in a system. It's not found in a religion. It's found in a relationship with the Son of God. Forget everything except Jesus. I love that song that we've been singing called Jesus Over Everything. Jesus Over Everything. This is Paul saying, put Jesus at the center. Everything should revolve around him. Jesus was the answer for this church in Corinth. It was the answer for their inner turmoil, but it was also the answer for their own division. And Jesus is the answer today, friends, for our inner turmoil, but also for our own division. You know, as I was thinking about this statement, such a bold statement, I forgot everything except for Jesus. 
As I was thinking about that, I was wondering, what have we forgotten in this last season? What have you forgotten in this last season? In these last few years, what have we forgotten? I wonder, have we forgotten everything but Jesus or everything about Jesus? Oh Lord, let us be a church that forgets everything but Jesus, that Jesus would be the center of our lives. Paul goes on in verse four and he says this, don't just remember God's secret plan, don't just remember Jesus, but rely on the Holy Spirit. In verse four he says, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I love how Paul did not come with a program in hand or a persuasive marketing campaign. What Paul came with was the Holy Spirit. This is what I came with, the, the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul could have done one of two things. He could have come into that environment, to that church, and, and spoken to them and, and started the church, and he, he could have come with his own agenda and then begged God to bless it. <laughs> Lord, I've got this wonderful plan. I, I've put it all down on paper. Now, Lord, would you please, please, Lord, would you bless this? Or Paul could have come in and ready to obey the Spirit of God, trusting God. And when the Lord spoke through the power of his Spirit, he could have chosen now to step out in faith, ready for the Lord to bless it in his faithfulness. Do you know that the first way isn't really faith at all? It's foolishness. We read about that a lot in the book of Proverbs. When we step out with our own agenda and then just say, hey, Lord, please, please bless this. I've gotten so far down the road already. No, faith is actually going before the Lord and saying, Lord, what is your plan? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you share that with me through your word and through your spirit, I'm going to step out and now I'm going to trust that you're going to bless it because you are faithful. This is faith. I love whenever I read this passage, I think to myself, and it's good to remember that Paul was a very capable person, very capable, highly educated. He could win most debates, very strategic. This was a very capable person. He could have very easily stepped into his plans, his own plans, and then prayed that God would bless them. But he didn't depend on his wisdom. He didn't depend on his understanding. He didn't even depend on his talents. He knew that it was not his experience or his ability that brought the power. It was the presence of the Holy Spirit. His life was not proof of, uh, his, his life was proof not of knowledge, but of the reality of God in his life. I love this statement Rely on the Spirit. I relied only on the power of the Spirit. Trust the Spirit of God in all things. I wonder if you had to ask yourself honestly, are you trusting the Holy Spirit right now? How well is that going? Are you, are you trusting the Holy Spirit right now? There's this great story of a man who was traveling and he was hungry. He was traveling through some country roads and he saw this farm stand. So he decided to stop at the farm stand and 
And he noticed on the bottom shelf were these beautiful watermelons all sliced up. And so his mouth began to water. And so he grabbed one of them and and brought them to the desk and, and asked the owner, you know, how much is one of these slices of watermelon? And the owner looked back at him and said, oh, they're a dollar and 10 cents. Well, the man looked at him and said, oh, that's such a shame because all I have is a dollar. Well, the owner looked back at him and said, you know what? I'll trust you for it. Wow. Thank you. That's, that's amazing. Thank you so much. What, what generosity. So the man put the dollar back in his pocket and walked off. The owner said, hey, wait, 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 wait. Where are you going? Well, I'm going to eat my watermelon. You, you said you're going to trust me for it. The owner said, no, wait, wait. No, I was going to trust you for the dime, not the dollar and the dime. The man looked back and said, well, then you weren't really going to trust me at all. All you were planning on doing was taking a 10 cent gamble. I wonder, friends, in our own walk with the Lord, are we taking a 10 cent gamble or are we all in? Trusting, trusting that God is going to walk with us. He's going to guide us, trusting that the things that he's calling us to right now are for our good and for the good of his kingdom. We want to be a people who are all in for Jesus. You know why it's so good to trust the Spirit? Because when you trust the Spirit, you gain spiritual sight. When you're walking in step with the Spirit, you you get spiritual sight where you begin to see where and how God is moving. He reveals these things to you. You know what's so good about trusting the Spirit is that it affects your mind. He renews your mind. It actually begins to think correctly. When you trust the Holy Spirit, he, he gives you ears to hear. When you trust the Holy Spirit, he actually gives you words to share, teaches you what your language should sound like, gives you words of encouragement, words that will help your friends in, in their direction, in their way of life. When you trust the Holy Spirit, he actually teaches you how to act, how to behave, how to walk on this planet in a way that reflects the love of Jesus Christ. But there are a few things that get in the way, aren't there? There are a few things that get in our way when it comes to trusting the Spirit of God. There's some things that become barriers for us. Two main ones, I think. The first is one of the things that keeps us from trusting the Spirit is our view of God. And the second is our view of ourselves. Sometimes we're kept from trusting the Spirit because we have this view of God that's not correct. We have this view of God, a God who doesn't care, a God who doesn't see me, a God who doesn't think that that I'm worthy, a God that doesn't want what's best for me. When we have this picture of God, why would we trust his spirit in our lives? But this isn't God. No, our God is a God who loves us dearly. Our God is a God who has a great purpose and plan for our lives. Our God is a God who, who knows what's best for us and has what's best for us. When we all of a sudden put it through that perspective and that lens, now all of a sudden you're ready to trust this God who gives us the Spirit. But the second way that we often are blocked from trusting the Spirit is that we have a wrong view of ourself. This happens in a couple ways. The first way is this, is sometimes we have a wrong view of ourselves and we think to ourselves, I don't need the Spirit. I'm handling life quite well. Things are going well. I've got a great job. I've, I've got happiness in life. I'm 
be quite honest with you, I should be coaching other people how to live. I've got this thing pretty mastered. Well, I want to tell you this. You can't bring the kingdom of God without God and the presence of his spirit in your life. You might do some great things, but it will be absent of the touch of God. It'll be absent of the anointing of God. That actually you desperately need the spirit of God in your life. If you want to build the kingdom of God. If you want to build your kingdom, fine, go after that. But if you want to build the things of of God, then you require the spirit in your life. It's a false view of yourself. Others of you might have a wrong view of yourself in this way. Well, the spirit wouldn't use me. My past mistakes prohibit that. The spirit doesn't need me. Who am I to be used by the spirit of God? Well, friends, you're a child of God, a person who the Lord has uniquely made, a person that the Lord has great, a great purpose and plan for, a person that the Lord wants to walk with. You are a child of God. Whatever the world has told you about yourself is not true. What God has said about you and says about you, that's where truth lies. This is where your identity is found. You are a child. You have gifts. You've been created in a way that the the Lord created you. Therefore, that is good. We might have some things that we need to overcome. But God sees you as a wonderful creation. You know, I want to talk to you just real practically as I close. Because it's one thing just to talk about trusting the Spirit, but, but how do we do that? Let me just give you a couple suggestions. This is going to get very practical, by the way. The first is this. How do we grow in our trust of the Spirit? Start with what you have. What do you have in your hand right now? Your time, your resources, yes, your finances, your children, your work. What has God given you right now, and will you trust him with it? Start to intentionally trust God in all things. I would encourage you, if you're not giving, give. This is a tangible way to say to the Lord, I'm going to trust you in all things. In all things. Ask the Lord about it. Second, how do you grow in trust? Deepen your relationship with him. Just like any relationship, you trust that person more the more you hang out with them and they prove themselves as somebody who's trustworthy. I want to encourage you to deepen your relationship with the Lord. If you're not spending time with the Lord every day, spend time with him every day. Every morning, spend time with him. Every evening, spend time with him. Spend time seeking him and deepening your relationship with him. Why would you trust a God you hardly know? Third, faithfully respond. When the Lord calls you to something through his word, through the prompting of his spirit, respond to it. Don't just be a receiver, be a responder. There are too many Christians out there going, I'll receive, I'll receive, this is fantastic, this is fantastic. Bless me more, bless me more. No, the Lord blesses so you can be a blessing. This is the way of the kingdom of God. So receive in order to respond. When the Lord speaks, step out in faith. He's going to meet you there, and your trust is going to grow. Closing story. I was watching a video that I found remarkable. 
It was a video of these slalom skiers going down this hill. And these slalom skiers had uh, another person directly behind them, following them in their every move. And then I noticed that the front skier had a little microphone and the the back skier had a little microphone too. And I, I looked more deeply into this to see what was happening. And I discovered that the second skier was a blind skier. And the skier in front was a sightseeing skier. And they would practice on the flat ground and then they would move up to some hills and, and the one in front would call out commands to the one who couldn't see behind him. Left, right. They'd call out these commands and as they called out these commands, the blind skier would just trust and follow all the way to the point where they'd go to the top of the mountain and they'd go around all the different flags and, and, and compete in slalom skiing. Remarkable, remarkable. Think of the trust that that blind skier has to have to go down the hill. What a vivid picture of the Christian life. See, friends, in this world, we are in reality blind about what course to take. We have to rely on the spirit of the only one who is truly sighted. That's God himself. His spirit gives us the direction we need. My closing question for us is this. Where is God calling you to follow him? Where is God saying, left? Where is God yelling, right? Where is God affirming you and saying, straight ahead? In what is God calling you to trust him? Is it your marriage? Is it in your relationship with a son or daughter? Is it with your finances? Is it in your work life? Is it in a decision that you have to make right now? Have you trusted the spirit of God? He wants to speak to you. He might be calling left. He might be calling right. He might be calling straight ahead. Are we listening? And are we ready to respond? I want to um, tell you that when we trust the spirit of God in this way, we can expect the spirit of God to meet people on their bench. We can expect God to, to meet us where we are. We can expect God to stretch us. We can expect God to build his kingdom in and through us. And this is the most exciting life you could ever live. And so I pray that the Lord would get really specific with you right now about how you can trust him today and this week. And I pray that you would respond with a resounding yes. Pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus himself. Amen. Amen.